Welcome listeners in podcast land, whether you're going for a jog, pretending to work at your desk, or even sneaking one headphone up your sleeve in class, this is the Beyondering podcast that explores faith out of bounds. Those who've jumped on Facebook and Twitter, thanks for joining the conversation. We've been loving, loving the chats. Keep it up, keep it coming. Welcome, though, to our second episode of 10. This is our first themed episode. It's called Justice Beyond Ourselves, and it's a good place to start. It's a great reminder right from the outset that our own selves, our own journey is so intimately connected with those around us. As we shared last week, we've got a whole range of voices that you'll be hearing throughout this series, international voices as well. But today we begin with one of the most premier voices in Australia, a homegrown hero, Jared McKenna. But before we introduce our maiden guest speaker and get the conversation underway, uh, I just want to let you know that we're not the only ones, Lucas and I, they are going to be firing the questions. Throughout the series, you'll hear of a couple of other voices, and one of whom you'll hear in this show is Beryl. I'm Beryl, and I'm a Rotarian. Reading the Old Testament is worse than when I watch Game of Thrones. I've been going to my church for 70 years. I tried once to cleanse my chakra, but I must have dozed off. Are we really inherently sinful or full? I once dated a man whom I could well believe came from And of course, hip-hop music led on to crunk. I don't mind the nudity. I park in the same spot. I watch the news on TV or read it on my smartphone. I sit in my same seat. Snaps to you, sweetie. So stay tuned for Beryl. She'll be sneaking along at some point and she'll be throwing at our guests some of the other questions that are out there around the topics we explore. So I first stumbled across Jared on social media and I noticed that he was one of the voices involved in the Love Makes Away campaign. And he's going to say a little bit more about this in our interview, but Love Makes Away is a movement, a grassroots movement of Christians in Australia who are concerned about the treatment of asylum seekers, the way that we treat people seeking refuge in our country. And in fact, it's a movement of people who are so concerned that they are willing to risk arrest. It's taking actions, as they're called, of non-violent civil disobedience, non-violent direct action. And for me, that's really where the rubber hits the road, where it joins the dots between peace and justice, because you can stand for justice in a violent way and you can throw rocks or you can shoot guns or you can stand for justice in a peaceful way and that's the way in which Jared calls us to behave and and calls us to advocate and it's the way in which he points out to us is present within our Christian tradition. Some of the other projects he's involved in is the First Home Project and also an organisation called Common Grace, some of which he'll touch on in this episode. He's a Peace Award-winning non-violent activist and a sought-after activist trainer. He's worked with groups such as Rising Tide, Greenpeace, World Vision International, and on a whole range of other projects, including in maximum security prisons. So you might ask the question, why start with peace and justice? It's a conversation that some churches ignore completely and don't talk about at all, and others talk a whole lot about But Matt and I observe that beyond the church, it's a conversation of some currency in our community. There are 
growing conversations around justice. We see things like the fair trade movement uh, on our blocks of chocolate and, and on our clothing. Uh, we see great concern for the conditions that factory workers who produce our clothes uh, live in overseas. And we also see growing movements that shape nations. We see the Arab Spring, we see anti-austerity protests, we see the Occupy movements happening in Wall Street and then growing out across the world. And they all seem to have themes of justice at the heart of them. They speak about the 1% and the 99%. And if so, those conversations are happening in our community and in our worlds. What does our faith tradition offer this conversation? And it's where this guest that you're about to hear from is such a valuable voice because he's not a removed academic. He's not a biblical scholar that will talk to us about the ideas and themes of justice as seen in Scripture. This bloke walks the talk. He really lives justice in what is a really radical way. Comedian Will Anderson said about Jared that he's the sort of God-botherer I enjoy being bothered by. His passion, compassion and humour are all things this world needs more of. And I think that'll come through in our conversation. Jared's a guy who's becoming, if you like, a bit of a mouthpiece in the broader community. He's a go-to guy for comment on issues of justice and peace. In fact, uh, just to give you a bit of context, at the time of the afternoon we grabbed him, uh, Jared was just about to be interviewed live on radio to get his perspective and his response to the Reclaim Australia rallies and the anti-Reclaim Australia rallies that were that were being held at the same time. One thing that thoroughly impressed me about Jared as we spoke to him was that though he might be seen as a bit of a radical, he's someone who actually stands proudly and squarely within the Christian tradition. And in a really humble and beautiful way, he actually invites the church to be reminded of its own radical heritage. So we're going to hear his conversation now, which we had over Skype. Apologies, too, for not a great connection. However, it must be said, we're a little bit suspicious as to the reason we had so many dropouts, as you'll hear in the interview. But let's dive into the land of Skype and connect with Jared McKenna. Jared McKenna, welcome to Beyondering. Thanks, fellas. Jared, you've done a swarm of things and are doing a swarm of things that reflect your heart and conviction around justice. Perhaps if you could tell us about some of them, perhaps if you could start with First Home Project, that some people may have even crossed paths with you or looked over social media and, and seen your name and face bob up. Tell us a bit about it. Yeah, sure. Matt, I think that's the nicest way anybody has ever talked about my ADD. <laughs> <laughs> I'm involved in a, a swarm of things. <laughs> so where Pete and I are sitting at the moment is um, uh, under uh, the uh, large Dostoevsky poster um, out the back of First Home Project in, in Midland, um, uh, beautiful Midland, where uh, we uh, live with 18 other people, most of whom are, are recently arrived refugees. Um, what First Home Project provides um, in our, our neighbourhood, which is uh, famous for being the feeling neighbourhood of comedians when they tell jokes about those neighbourhoods you make fun of when they come to Perth, is we, we provide a, a safe place for people who are recently arrived refugees to find their feet, 
develop a rental history, be able to make it into the rental market. How that came about is half the story and why people are often so interested is that uh, the reason why it made the news in uh, Kosovo and Albania is that we crowdsourced our mortgage for $600,000 in 14 days after being rejected by uh, uh, over 10 uh, banking institutions. Um, and we did that through social media and that was a, a huge story and has, has, has led to a lot of uh, uh, positive uh, attention for a very, in a way, a very small initiative like what people are doing in cities and rural centres right across Australia of just being decent to people who uh, are recently arrived instead of participating in the kind of scapegoating of asylum seekers that often goes on. So you've thrown yourself into community by living with 18 people, I think it was, you said, and by throwing the, the invitation to crowdsource out there, you've, you've thrown yourself on community in that way. That sounds both incredibly inspiring, but also terrifying. What's, what's been your experience of it? I think that's what faith is, yeah. <laughs> it's being able to provide the kind of spaces where this isn't a game of more hardcore than thou or uh, super saints, uh, anonymous or, 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 or something like that, but it's actually about broken, problematic, if I can use the, the language that Paul subverts, that was the term that was used to talk about those social art outcasts that we are clearly better than. And Paul says, nah, that term applies to all of us. If we're all sinners, we can all actually get in on this stuff. And instead of creating those hierarchies of, of super capable people can do this, it's actually like, no, broken people, in the kind of relationships where we we love one another and that that's all i've got that's honestly all i've got we really don't know what we're doing we don't have a big uh, uh plan we're trying to love people well we're not even trying to build community um i've spent over 10 years in different kinds of uh, intentional communities my initial introduction to living in community was with carl meyer who uh, was mentored by dorothy day he led the um, Catholic worker movement in Chicago. This is a man who had a photo in his living room of Martin Luther King on one shoulder and Thich Nhat Hanh on the other shoulder as he led the marches, um, the civil rights marches in 67 in Chicago. But those of us who spent time in community, the reality is, Lucas, that um, it's it's often pretty dark. Bonhoeffer talks about, um, to paraphrase, And that's the point at which the Skype call dropped out. We were able to keep messaging each other via Skype and that's how Jared put forward the theory to us that perhaps we were being monitored by a shadowy government agency and were being censored by the man. <laughs> they're they're onto us, Jared. And I think Bonhoeffer was the trigger word. As soon as you mentioned the B word, uh, they, they dropped us out. I, I sometimes get nervous when people talk about, yeah, we need, we need to build better communities or uh, I'm been hurt by uh, my experience of mainstream church, maybe what I need is to be a part of a Christian community or a house group or something like that. The, the problem is, is that they're full of people. I, I often think we, we idolise church and turn it into an idol instead of realise that this is a group of people that are at least as problematic as me. How do we actually set up healthy ways of uh, being together that can create cultures of confession instead of cover-up and actually be able to name the kind of dynamics that are unhealthy. So Bonhoeffer's whole thing, 
those that seek to create community, destroy community, those that seek to uh, love others will create community. I, I think community is a byproduct of just loving those you're around. Mm. Stop, stop, stop the podcast. Was that um harmonised? Mm. Despite being only our first interview, we are so in sync that even our ums are in complete harmony. Mm. We should move on. There's a couple of other things we'd love to hear more about. Love makes a way. It's also something Lucas has had a bit to do with, but tell us, it's a movement we're starting to hear a lot more about. What is it and how did it emerge? Love Makes a Way for me started by an, an invite from uh, Justin Whalen and they were having a chat about how ridiculous this is, how it's gone too far, um, how we need to do something and that we should do an, an action. Um, so on the Friday, we're involved in the action. It went really well, I think. I was the only pastor that was involved and the rest are just Christian leaders who leading in, in other sectors. And uh, it was a fantastic action. And, and literally that morning they were talking about what should we call the movement? And uh, uh, it's no secret that some of my biggest influences have been people like uh, Uncle Vincent Harding. Uncle Vincent, as he insisted, I, I call him, was a speechwriter for Martin Luther King and a strategist and uh, amazing um, uh, black Anabaptist. Uh, a historian and, and scholar, I said, well, in the black church tradition, they always use the phrase, um, God will make a way. And in terms of the asylum seeker and refugee rights space in Australia, it's pretty dark and we're ne needing God to make a way. And so I suggested, let's go with love makes a way. From that first action, um, things uh, got really interesting after we were arrested. We had great rapport with the police officers. And once we got to lock up, they, it wasn't quite Paul and Silas um, in the prison cells, but they didn't close the, the doors in, the, uh, in, in lock up. They left them open. And one of the police officers said to me, what's next of kin? What's their contact number? And I said, I'm sorry, mate. I'm, I'm dyslexic. I, <laughs> I don't have my wife's number memorized. And he said, come here. And so I walked out of cell because the doors were, were open. And uh, he gave me his, his, my phone out of the little plastic bag that they put your belt and your everything else in and I read the number and put it down on, on the table in front of him as he's punching it into the computer and he takes one look at me and one look at my phone and goes back to his computer and I point at my phone and I said, can I? And he stops me mid-sentence and he says, best you don't ask. <laughs> so I picked up my phone and I went back to my cell and it, it you know, it definitely wasn't a letter from a Birmingham jail but it was tweets from uh, Cronulla Locker and uh, we managed to, to trend thanks to uh, friends like um, uh, John Safran and people like Julian Burnside. John actually did an interview with me from that cell. Um, and so I, I'm getting messages saying, your name is, is, is trending nationally on, on Twitter. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Cause, so we came back to um, uh, Perth and people were like so moved and inspired by what the Sydney siders had done in their initial conversations and letting a sand groper, a West Australian in like me. And they said, well, uh, let, let's continue this. So um, we got a group together, we, we prayed, we, we trained. And this time, for the first time, a group of uh, pastors, church leaders um, from Anglican, Uniting, uh, Baptist, Church of the Christ, um, the, the, one of the largest churches in Australia, Riverview Church, was involved from uh, the start with one of their pastors. And so we had uh, Pentecostals and Charismatics, um, like w the full breadth of the church involved in this next action. And so uh, 
two days, I think, after um, all charges were dismissed from the action in Morrison's office. And once again, the Skype dropped out, further fueling the theory that this podcast was being censored. So the, um, the, the censorship words were Bonhoeffer and then Morrison is what cut it out that time. So, <laughs> so after we got the results, uh, from the magistrate in New South Wales after the first action, that in his words, this was uh, if ever there was a peaceful action, this was it. A couple of days later, um, us sandgropers in Perth, uh, we did the first ever action with church leaders, and uh, we had like massive coverage, uh, trended nationally, um, had newspaper articles explaining the the whole thing. And uh, it was a, a huge success and really importantly, really big buy-in from uh, not just the regular offenders, Christian activist types, but mainstream uh, churches who uh, are concerned and were looking for others to lead the way and where to kind of direct that concern. And from there, we saw um, an amazing action pulled off on the East Coast with uh, simultaneous action in Melbourne and Sydney. Uh, and from there, things continue to, to snowball to the stage we've got it at the moment. There's over 200 Christian leaders in Australia who have risked uh, arrest um, on behalf of those who are being indefinitely detained, whose futures are frozen in our immigration detention centres, particularly children. And Jared, some of the commentary that I see around the Love Makes A Way stuff on social media and on talkback radio, I hear comments like, Oh, finally, this is what the church should be doing. Or even I've heard someone say, this is the most Christ-like I've seen the church. What's How do you feel about comments like that, both in terms of what Love Makes Way is doing, but also perhaps how that reflects on the church? I think people are ready to see things that look like Jesus. Uh, I mean, um, even when people disagree, when it's done not out of a sense of like, here we are and we're incredible and we're going to save the day, but actually, no, we're, we're completely complicit in systems that constantly silence the voice of those who are suffering. And we want to confess with being a part of that. And we want to actually say, please hold us accountable to be more like Jesus and less like jerks. And people respond with stuff like, well, even if I don't agree with you, I admire the way you're going about it. Or if I was going to go to church, um, maybe I'd go to, to a church which people actually risk for the vulnerable instead of take advantage of the vulnerable, which, let's face it, a lot of the newspaper articles we've seen uh, over the last couple of years when it comes to church leaders um, uh, tragically, horrifically look like that kind of stuff. I think that's what people are waiting for. There's this uh, amazing talk that um, the famous French existentialist, Albert Camus, gave to a group of bishops, and he said... Um, uh, we wait for uh, Christians and what the world needs is for Christians simply to be Christians. I've read a reflection that you've written, I think it might have been around Easter time, uh, where you picked up a similar theme to that. And I think the line you said was that the church ought to look more like the crucified Christ, not like the system that crucifies, not like the crucifier. And uh, I, I mean, personally, I know so many people who have left the church because it doesn't look like or remind them of the Jesus who provoked people um what so what would you say to those people who don't find the church to be the same shape as the jesus on which it's based i think a really 
really helpful way of starting is not in reaction. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll share with it, this with you lot, but uh, it's only recently I've gone public with this stuff. Um, my own experience uh, is as a, a survivor of sexual abuse in um, a, a ecclesial setting um, where in exposing that stuff, uh, people actually, some people were fantastic. Some of the responses were uh, incredible and uh, really helpful. And then there were others that said that um, uh, we'd led this pastor astray and uh, blamed the victims and helped him skip the country and helped him uh, sell his uh, uh, property so he can settle elsewhere and um, literally destroyed computer evidence and this kind of stuff. And so I really understand those who have more than enough reasons to be upset with the church, but for, for my own health um, and my own sanity, um, Desmond Tutu's words around there's no future without forgiveness um, speaks deeply to, to my condition, my situation. Um, and the reality that it, I'm so justified at being angry at the church. But in terms of what's going to be transformational for me, I've learned to weep over the church and, and sought to be something that is better, that um, to, to remove the logs from my own eyes and, and not let there be actually a stronghold in positions of where I find my identity and actually being the victim or, or even being a survivor, but instead find my ident identity in what, again, James Allison calls the, the joy of being wrong, um, which for those of us who have been so badly wrong, like the kind of wrong that disturbs our sleep and visits us in nightmares and um, means that some of us will be in therapy for the rest of our lives, uh, the, the kind of wrong which has seriously shaped our lives, it, it can be a really, really brutal fight to let grace be the reality that names us that is deeper than those wounds. And I, I need communities where people can actually bring me to the kind of stories that will, uh, will heal me and bring me into the kind of presence of uh, God who, who longs to heal us. Uh, instead of actually feed um, narratives of um, bitterness and cynicism. So I, I would encourage people to, to start with the, that, that hard reality of, of grace and realise that um, loving our enemies isn't merely for their good, but it's actually for ours and our sanity. Um, I, I think it's being in communities that have encouraged me to put Jesus' teachings into practice that literally mean that I'm probably alive today. And I, I am eternally thankful for people who could love me like that when um, I didn't know if I could trust communities and, and love again. Thank you for... A wonderful answer, but also for the vulnerability of your own story. A lot of what you do is 
offer love and compassion and hospitality, but a lot of what you do is also to challenge and fight against the systems of corruption. What's the balance between love and grace and speaking against and to corrupt systems and, and, and people who harbour hatred and prejudice? Yeah, I mean, for me, um, it's not a balance. Like, um, love isn't soft, it's fierce and unrelenting. It is um, something that um, disturbs and disrupts and yet heals. Um, uh, Dr. King talks about in the first book I ever read when, of, by um, MLK when I was, what, 18 years old, uh, Why We Can't Wait, which I would never suggest to anybody as a starting point. <laughs> but in that book, he talks about um, nonviolence is um, a sword that heals, and those that wield that sword, it ennobles. And uh, those who are struck by that sword, it heals them in the process. And for, for me, um, uh, liberating love from definitions that don't find their meanings in the life of Christ and liberating um, resistance uh, or activism or justice from means that don't find their definitions in the life of Christ. And this is very topical for me at the moment, actually, fellas, because uh, I'm on uh, radio this afternoon uh, discussing with org organisers of the anti-racism rallies in response to Reclaim Australia, uh, what it is to to actually respond in ways that don't foster fascism, which, you know, I'm hugely concerned about. But as unpopular as it is, I actually believe in transformation. And I think we need to have more conversations around what does transformation look like? And the only way we actually win, I, I was discussing this with friends last night, for me, love your enemies is not merely like a quote unquote spiritual truth. It's, it's actually how we win. Mm. We'd like to throw something a little bit different to you at the moment, something that we're doing with each of our guests. We have a voice who advocates on behalf of the common pew-sitter. Uh, her name is Beryl. Bonhoeffer, Morrison, <laughs> Beryl. Beryl. <laughs> I want to be like him when I grow up. <laughs> Isn't he like him, Morrison? Probably. When his own Leighton Hewitt is as well. <laughs> exactly. Which would you rather be? Oh, yeah, that's tempting. Maybe we can ask Jared how many Davis Cups he's won. <laughs> I'm Beryl, and I'm a Rotarian. I've been going to my church for 70 years. Reading the Old Testament is worse than when I watch Game of Thrones. I don't mind the nudity. That's right. It's time for Beryl's Advocate. Many people seem to be uncomfortable with the idea of preaching politics from the pulpit. We're told that it's impolite to mix politics and religion. But some politicians seem comfortable being impolite and bringing faith into their work. Should we be uncomfortable talking faith and politics? How should we feel about politicians who claim Christian values? Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd love to have a cup of tea with Beryl. I think Beryl was touching on something really important. Um, 
and maybe something counter-intuitive, uh, in that faith and politics do work really well together in the New Testament. And the, I think it's important to say that really clearly. The politics, which we often get talked about, is like uh, r- religiously backed uh, forms of crucifying others. Um, we need to take more seriously when the book of Hebrews talks about that enough blood's been shed to bring around um, reconciliation in our world. Um, uh, God's got that covered, revealing those dynamics on the cross. We're now invited in to be a new people. Uh, no more sacrifice, um, to use the kind of language that the book of Hebrews would talk about. So there should be discussions of politics because in the most ancient sense, um, those of us who had to study uh, Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates will remember that politics is about how we organize a community. And the New Testament is clear that we're organizing around Jesus, um, who actually exposes that we make victims. Instead of organizing around victims where we cover up their bodies, uh, whether it be with, with flags or with high ideals, and hold our unity together like that. How, how do you do conversation with those who are different? Uh, I think it becomes a lot easier when we don't pray, pray prayers like, God, thank you that I'm not like fill in the, fill in the blank. Um, and there are a lot of conversations like that. God, thank you I'm not like one of those fundamentalists who, by the way, I used to be until six months ago. Now I'm experiencing amnesia on that. Um, God, thank you I'm not like those liberals who actually love me really well, form my life, and that's why I'm actually passionate about the things that I'm passionate about today. But people so easily forget where they've come from. And so one of the important places to start is with conversations about homophobia, with conversations about Islamophobia, with conversations about classism or patriarchy, where we go, actually, I struggle, struggle with patriarchy. I struggle with white supremacy. Cornell West, we were talking together in Chicago, um, which is a daunting thing, yeah, having to follow Cornell West on stage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so one of the things that Cornell West said uh, before I got up was, um, I struggle with white supremacy in my heart. If that's true of me as a black person, surely that's true of white people in the room as well. Now, if we don't have the kind of humility where we can actually share in this stuff and confess, conversation's going nowhere. Conversation will always devolve into, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm more victimized than you, um, I, I have more reasons uh, to, to be angry at you. If we want to really do the kind of deep listening that's a daily reality here at First Home Project, it means hard conversations where um, some of our volunteers who are gay and lesbian able to share with some of our Muslim neighbours um, the reality of their orientation because of like conflicting prejudice. And yet, if we can create spaces where people are actually encountered as people, we can build the kind of relationships where it does become to, safe to share things that actually make us vulnerable. That is what the church is actually able to do in incredible ways that our society desperately needs. And what I worry about so often is that people get caught up in either side of the cultural wars and uh, in the name of justice, um, like even if we rightly di- diagnose the fascism, the white supremacy, 
the, the racism, the misogyny, um, the, the homophobia, even if we rightly diagnose that, yelling at somebody about their sickness will never heal them. Fantastic. Well, Jared, we're really appreciative of your time and uh, want to thank you so much for the conversation, uh, which has left us with so much to go away and think about. <laughs> uh, but also the examples uh, that you are practically setting uh, for people in uh, both what you've spoken about already with us today uh, and the whole range of topics that we haven't even got to touch on yet. Um, there's so much more that we could have spoken to you about. So uh, maybe maybe we'll have to revisit for a part two at some stage. For sure. More than happy to do that. It, it's, it's my hope and why I'm excited about your initiative is uh, my prayer is that the kind of healing for your listeners that find themselves on the fringe that they'll find themselves on the inside of their fringe of the fringe where their voice can be prophetic instead of on the outside where it's just heard criticism uh and often it's the same stuff when it's transformed uh, and when it has the humility to actually be wept over instead of finger pointing and, and yelling at others that actually provides the real transformation for, for those who were previously in conflict with so i i really pray for your listeners right now that um what has been their pain uh will be surrendered in ways that become a prophetic voice so to find out more about jared mckenna head to our website beyondering.com.au you'll also find there jared's response to a question we're asking all of our guests see beyondering is a project in which we are seeking voices outside of ourselves to, who draw us out, who offer us new perspectives. So we ask all of our guests who they might point us to. Each guest is one of those voices for us, but who do they point us to? Who are their influences? So Jared gives us his list of responses there. And whilst you're there, make sure you get involved in the conversation. Jump on board the forum and make sure too you subscribe on our website because in doing that you'll get access to bonus material and also full length interviews so coming up next week many ways beyond my idea of God so we begin to explore those questions of what about other religions we think about where is God is God only in my religion only in my tradition so joining us for that conversation are two internationally renowned but Australian guests Dave Andrews, author of the provocatively named and recently released book, The Jihad of Jesus. I think there is only one God. And I think when we pray, that one God hears our prayers, regardless of what name we call God and what name we call the house of God that we go to. And Val Webb, who's recently released her book, Testing Tradition and Liberating Theology, both were fantastic conversations and we're really excited to introduce you to them and their contributions. We shared an Indian dinner with Dave during our conversation. And Val Webb shared a shit Skype connection with us. <laughs> By the time Val worked out which way she was supposed to put her headphones on. <laughs> yeah, the, the title was Many Ways to Wear Your Headphones. <laughs> Thanks for coming, Beyondering. <laughs> yeah.
Beyondering is supported by the Progressive Christian Network of Victoria. Join the network, find resources and learn about upcoming events at pcnvictoria.blogspot.com.au and Common Dreams, an alliance of religious progressives in Australia, New Zealand and the South Pacific. Visit commondreams.org.au to learn more about the next Common Dreams conference to be held in Brisbane, September 16th to 19th, 2016. Edited by Shaz Mullins and produced by Adam. When it's midnight, it's time to leave the ball.